I began a series a few weeks ago called The Power of the Holy Spirit, and some of it entails with the fact of how do we interact a partnership with, partnership with the Holy Spirit. This morning, I'm going to look at the role of the Holy Spirit in these last days. The last days being from the very point where the resurrection came, when Jesus was ascended into the heavens. For a lot of people, that their understanding of the Holy Spirit is simply that he's a comforter and he's there when I need him. If I'm not aware of the Holy Spirit is dwelling inside of this body, this house, then somehow or another I just see him, he's out there somewhere and I can't connect with it. But yet when you find out when we understand the role of the Holy Spirit and the responsibility of the interaction with the Holy Spirit, then we can have the power of the Holy Spirit as well. Now some people look at the ministry of the Holy Spirit just like the tabernacle when on the outer court there was the brazen altar, it dealt with sin. They come up there, there was priestly ministry there, the sacrifice for sin were there, and they, have, they get what they need and then they leave. Some places that's all they teach is on salvation, nothing wrong with that, that's their assignment, praise God for it. But the, the Lord wants to lead us farther in, past the brazen altar, inside what's called the inner, the inner court or the holy place. And the holy place, it's all revelation about him. Sin was dealt with out there. It doesn't mean you never deal with it again. But now the sin is not just visibly dealt with outwardly, but now we have the internal working of the Holy Spirit, the conviction of the Holy Spirit on the inside of us. Jeremiah talks about a new covenant will he make with the house of Israel, also with us. And in this new covenant, he will write his word upon the fleshly tablets of our heart. No longer will it just be on the tablets of Moses, but it now will be written upon our heart. So we see the transformation is from the outside to the inside, and that's why I say God looks upon the heart. Why? It's because that is where choices are made, decisions are made, and I can do everything on the outward rightly, as he did under the old law, and yet my heart be far from God. And so the heart is actually the altar. When you find, look in Scripture, about present your, your sacrifice upon the altar. Also in Matthew 5 talks about that. He said, which is greater, the gold that is on the temple or the altar that sanctifies the, um, the sacrifice? And the Pharisees were trying to say, oh, it's, got a, it's the temple, it's the gold, because it was all about the ornate beauty of the temple. And Jesus said to them, it is about the temple that sanctifies the offering." If the altar, or excuse me, the altar that sanctifies the, the offering. So if the altar is not pure, then everything you put on that altar becomes polluted and though it's been offering to the Lord. So he brings us from the outside to the inside and he brings us to the labor with the washing of the water of the word. And so the labor is also is brass and you could look into that. There was a reflection there. There was a table of showbread there, which was the, the relationship and the intimacy with God. The bread was changed out constantly. It was never meant to live off of an experience that happened 20, 30 years ago. Every day, give me this day my daily bread. Also, we see that the candlesticks were, that were revelation. It gave light to them. Everything inside that place spoke of revelation about him, who he was. And then the Holy Spirit, we'd see today, wanted to take us behind the veil into the Holy of Holies, and some people are happy just to know about him there in the inner court, 
but to go beyond that place into the Holy of Holies, and there the very place, essence of God inside the Ark of the Covenant is inside there. Remember, everything they did in the Old Testament was to speak something louder that was to come. So inside of that ark and how the ark was constructed was very, was important. But inside that ark was Aaron's rod that budded that represented the, the power and the leadership that we had when Moses came, brought him out of Egypt. The rod was there. The authority was there. We recognized it was a part of the shepherding, the fathering. said his rod and his staff was with him. Then we find out that the pot of manna theirs that they took from, from the wilderness and the pot of manna usually only lasted overnight and it wouldn't sustain. But when the pot of manna was put in the Ark of the Covenant, it was sustained forever and ever. So in his presence, there is sustenance. In his presence, there is something where he keeps his own word. And the word manna there is the what is it, which is translated the revelation, bread of faces. So this pot of manna speaks of, I got the authority, I've got revelation of who he is, and then the tablets of Moses there, which was, these are the boundaries that I want you to live in. So when you recognize that God was continually bringing us from the outward to the inward all the way through, but sometimes people get stuck, I'm happy and satisfied where we are there, but it was never intended to be at that one spot, it was continually to grow from glory to glory to glory. And that's what I'm all about. Everything that I share in this church is not just for information, but for the idea of to bring us into a, a transformation, into a greater sense of glory with him. Not to get stuck and just satisfied with, I went to church and did the duty and I'm done with it for a whole week. I don't have to do this again for six more days. So hallelujah. But the idea is not just to be able to, I have a secure place in heaven, praise God for that, but I need the power of the Holy Spirit to live out my life right now. What I want to talk about, how we interact, interact with the Holy Spirit inside of us and recognize that he's present with us at all times. But if our first response is, oh, woe is me, here we go again, and the mind takes over and we start building a scenario in our mind because words create pictures, pictures can create destiny and journeys, and then we end up getting locked in to how we think. That's why Proverbs says, as one thinks in his heart, Proverbs 23, we become like what we think. If God can change the way we think about something, he can change every part of our life. So the word of God is about transforming our thinking so we're not just stuck and we take pictures of something and say, well, this is the way it's always going to be. Or we read a scripture and say, well, that's the way it's always meant. But the Holy Spirit comes and unveils that truth and expands on it in a greater way. The Holy Spirit is inside of us to do three primary things. Number one is to express who the Father is through us, who Jesus is through us. Hebrews 13 says, let us offer the sacrifice of praise, which is the fruit of our lips. But notice that he said, through Jesus, let us offer that. So it's actually through Jesus that he's expressing to the Father through who? his body here on the earth. He's, he sees us as a body expressing back to the Father. So it takes the Holy Spirit. I was um, reading about a guy recently, and this guy was very wealthy, obviously. He was some sheik out in the desert somewhere. Anyway, he is, his favorite hobby was to collect race cars. 
He had a Maserati, he had a Ferrari, and some other names I couldn't even pronounce. Didn't even know they were there. And they asked him, how often do you drive these? He said, oh, I don't even start them. I never would drive them. Well, why would you have them? Well, it's just to know that I have them. I go in and I have people that polish them up and make sure they look pretty, and then I go ahead and look at it and say, I own them. Same way that we can have the Holy Spirit inside of us, knowing that these race cars were built for one thing, and that was for speed. They weren't built for comfort. I mean, you're behind, it's about this far off the ground, going 160, 70 miles an hour. You got to thinking about road rash, and <laughs> it wouldn't be long that you would be lifting up a little bit. They're built for that. They're assigned to do that. We are given the power of the Holy Spirit not to polish up on Sunday morning, not just to look at it and say, I, I'm filled with the Spirit. I can speak in tongues and I can curse also in, t in my own tongue. I can speak in this way and I can be mean to people in the other way. That if the truly the Holy Spirit and the power of who He is residentially inside of me, He's not built for me to polish Him up and just say, I own and I have Him but to allow him to be the one to drive, to allow him to be the one to lead, to allow him to express the Father and who he is. It takes the Holy Spirit inside of us to truly worship because we don't even know how to worship except the Holy Spirit through us. Jesus said that in John 4. The time it will come, and now is, right now, everything changes. When you'll not be worshiping, speaking to the Samaritans in Mount Gerizim, which was the place that they went. But you will, not only the Jews going to Mount Zion, but the true worshipers, the manifested reality through the eyes of God, Aletheia, will worship the Father in spirit and truth. So Jesus saying, now's the time. He is there. He's making the transition from no longer worshiping in location, but worshiping out of our innermost being. So I need the Holy Spirit to really be a worshiper. I can sing songs off the screen and my mind be a million miles away. I can sing songs off the screen that might even move me rhythmically and not my heart be in it. But when the Holy Spirit is engaging, he's getting our attention saying, this is what the Father is like. This is who he is. And when you start ministering out of that, there's, some, uh, there's a connection there. So the Holy Spirit just breaks you and weaves you together and saying, I understand the love of God. Psalm 16 said, in the presence of the Lord, there's fullness. Otherwise, it's just simply theology. If, I, if that doesn't break me to, to bring kindness and tenderness to, towards others, then the Holy Spirit is something I believe in, but not one who I allow him to flow in me. The second thing that the Holy Spirit does, he not only wants to express, but he wants to explain. In John, the 14th chapter, where I really want to begin... Matthew, John 14, 15, and 16 speaks a lot of the Holy Spirit. These are some of the very first chapters I began to memorize as a, as a young guy. So pick it up in John 14, verse 25. Jesus is saying this, No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what the master is doing. Meaning one who is an orphan spirit. He's bound to serve, but he doesn't do it with his heart. An orphan is one who has no inheritance, has no identity, 
and he doesn't know what the future holds. He doesn't know his, who his father is. All he knows to do is through works. As long as I do the right things, <clears throat> then that, that's as good as I can be. That is an orphan spirit. Jesus came to deliver us from an orphan spirit and bring us into sonship. Because in sonship, there's an inheritance, there's an identity that we identify with him. In Luke 15, case in point, was that the prodigal son was in, spent every, all the inheritance which he had a right to ask from his father because that was Jewish culture. And he, after he spends all of his money upon prostitutes, riotous living, parting up, and no more money, everybody left him. He didn't have any more friends. He now is in the pig pen, and he comes to his senses, and he's saying to, him, to himself, right now in my father's house, even the people who serve him are better off than me. Though I am a son, he's a son. He didn't stop being a son positionally when he was in the pig pen. But it wasn't until he was restored back to father's house that he have the benefits of father. The Holy Spirit wants to bring us into what it means to be in benefits with the father and what belongs to the father and what is in the house of the father. So with that understanding is, if you're lacking anything, then the Holy Spirit that's inside of you will direct you to what Father's house has for you. If I don't do that, I'm looking for someone else to do it for me. I'm looking for entitlement. I'm looking for someone else to provide for me. But unless I come to my Father who has the right of the first touch, first fruits, firstborn, everything belongs to him. He gets first shot at. He wants the first shot at being able to provide for me instead of looking to someone else to do it. By doing that, I now can recognize that my father and I have a relationship, not just to get to heaven. So the Holy Spirit wants to explain, and he says that in verse, verse 26, I'm not going to call you servants for what his master, you don't know what his master is doing, but I call you friends. Hang on to that word, it's big. For all things I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. My friends are those that understand what's going on. Revelation comes to his friends. His friends are not acquaintances. They are those that understand their destiny and why we're doing what we're doing and we're going where we're going. Servants don't know. They just go through the motions. I no longer call you servants, but I call you friends. For all things have I heard from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit. He doesn't disappoint, he only appoints. Disappointment is a preconceived idea that we make up in our own mind how something should go, and when it doesn't go our way, we get disappointed, we lose the appointment of God. I've appointed you that you would be fruitful, which means I plant a seed and you will reproduce the like kind that comes out of that seed. Whatever you ask the Father, no longer an orphan, in my name, these are friends, he may give you these things I command you that you love one another. Now, that was chapter 15. Now, I'm backtracking. All right. John 14. Pick it up in verse 25. These things I have spoken to you while being present with you. Jesus spent the three and a half years with them. But the helper, Perikletos, one who comes alongside of you, the advocate, 
when the, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you. He wants to explain to you. He will teach you what? All things. All things about life. All things that relate it to the Father. We need to understand that. He's not about trying to teach you about the mark of the beast. He's trying to teach you about the things of the Father. Because when you know the Father, the Father puts a mark on you. You can find it. Let me share it around here. He marks you with his blood, and you don't have to worry about the mark of the beast. You've got the mark of his blood. And the mark of his blood trumps anything else the mark of the beast tries to put on you. People are trying to so afraid of the mark of the beast, they just received the mark of his son. And I know theologically we can debate in a little bit of that. He knows those are his. But I certainly wouldn't take the mark of the beast either. <laughs> He'll teach you the things that bring into remembrance the things I said to you. Verse 27. Peace I leave with you. Peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Not only is the Holy Spirit explains himself, but he executes the Father's plan as well. Acts chapter 3, Peter comes after being baptized in the Holy Spirit, comes to the temple, I was at the gate beautiful, the word horizo is the word beautiful there, means the gate of right timing. So now Peter's baptized in the Holy Spirit, have seen this same beggar, lame man many times, all of a sudden he sees him with a different kind of eyes. Being filled with the Holy Spirit changes the way that you view other people. He takes away your opinions and he puts within you the eyes of the Father. Doesn't mean you don't have an opinion about what laundry soap you want to use. I don't think he cares. But he does it concerning about our opinions when we classify or someone that he's created into his image and say, you're this, you're always this, you can never be anything else. That means I've determined this is... You can't be anything that God wants to do in your life. So when he says to them, he said, my peace I give you. One of the ministry roles of the Holy Spirit is concerning the peace of God. If you don't get anything else this morning, understand this part of it. Is part of the ministry role of the Holy Spirit in the last days to take the peace of God. Now notice he says, not the same peace that the world gives do I give you. I give you my peace. He uses a different word, and it's the word erene. Erene means to join and bind with. So the original would be Jesus saying, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. He's going to take of mine, and he's going to give it to you, and he will take and bind my peace to you. You were bound and joined to my peace, and my peace shall be with you. Knowing that there is a similar type peace, but it's not my peace, that the world gives. Though he uses a very similar word, but the word we translate like this. The world is wanting to bind you to, to them and join them to you. But I'm not calling that peace. I'm calling you into my peace. And my peace comes from the inside out by the Holy Spirit. So when we get all upset and bothered by all the superficial things we see on the outside... Doesn't mean it shouldn't provoke us to pray and believe God. But there's a peace that passes all understanding that is on the inside by the power of the Holy Spirit.
that says, this is all circumstantial, this will all pass away, but the peace that I give you is divinely connected and joined to the throne of God. The earth will pass away, but my word will not pass away. Old things are behind you. Behold, look at the new things. When you get stuck in looking at only the old things, I can't say anything good that's in front of me. So when he talks about his peace, he uses a word that's related to Jesus. He said, come and join me, and by joining me, I bind myself to you. That is, he's talking about the Holy Spirit. When I will send my spirit that will remind you all the things, I'll explain it, he'll express it through you, but he'll also bind who I am on you and in you. For a lot of people in charismania world, that the only thing we recognize about the Holy Spirit is speaking in tongues. That might be an expression, but there's a deeper sense of who he is inside of us that wants to bind us to the peace of God that rules. And he talks about that in Colossians. In Colossians, he makes this statement. He said that the peace of God that rules passes, the word actually is to govern, will also is called you into one body. So there is a peace when we're called into the body of Christ that we're joined to so that nothing bothers you and upsets you. It can provoke you, but you stay inside that peace. And the devil constantly wants to say or do something to bait us to get up out of the seat of peace and come join the fight below. Jesus said in John 18 verse 36, when he's talking with Pilate, he said, are you a king? And he said, well, you say so. He said, then where is your kingdom? His understanding of a kingdom was uh, an army, a castle, and has subjects and, and a, a sphere of territory. And yet Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world or this realm, or else my servants would be fighting. So there is a war that Jesus is calling us to, but it's not against flesh and blood. Flesh and blood fighting will wear you out thin. He said in John the seventh chapter, excuse me, Daniel the seventh chapter, this horn starts speaking out and it's using words, hyperbole, speaking out against the saints of God. And, and Daniel is getting this vision. And he said, these words are have worn out the saints. And actually the word to wear out, the word translated is the, to, to use up all your resources. It'll exhaust you emotionally, spiritually, physically, every which way to wear you down to where you just give up. And Jesus said, but I've not called you to war there. I've called you to war there. You are seated, Ephesians 2, with him in heavenly places. So in heavenly places, there is the joining together with the host of heaven, joining together, being bound together with the angels, and you are just seated there, and based upon the authority that Jesus has redeemed you out of darkness, brought you into light, you have authority there. But when we try to muscle on the earth, it simply wears you out, you can't see any, any direction, you can't see anything out, and you start manipulating, trying to do this, that, and the other thing, trying to make something happen, instead of, I'm going to rest Remember I talked about the rest of the Holy Spirit, which means completion and what Jesus has already done. But now I want to look at the idea of what the peace of God, what it means to rule. The word rule there is very simply, it means an umpire, to govern. Now if you've been around here very long, you've heard Diane use this term, ecclesia. Who's ever heard that term? Some of you probably heard it, ecclesia. 
Well, the word ecclesia just simply means church. In fact, in German and in Dutch, the word church is kirk. So kirkwood came from a wooden church. Couldn't be in a stone church. That'd be a wooden church. I guess those kind of burn up. So what the word ecclesia literally was the idea it was taken out of. It meant ek means out of, klesia, which is very close to the paraclesis, which is the Holy Spirit. He's saying, so the Holy Spirit comes to take a people, the church, out of the, out of the church comes this people that becomes joined to him. Not just saved, but there are those who are taken out, you know, to govern authority. Doesn't mean we're not saved one way or the other. It means we're saved, we're born again, we're in him. But this paraclesis, now the Holy Spirit is guiding and directing us so that we're not warring after flesh and blood, but the Holy Spirit is directing the warfare. It would be like this. You can call the devil names all, all day long. He didn't care. He knows he'll wear you out. He'll call you names back. He'll wear you out. But when you start allowing the Holy Spirit to merge the Word and the Spirit together, you have now merged, went into a higher level into the heavenlies to where you're warring with the Word and the devil knows how powerful that is because everything was created with the Word, not anything was created without the Word. So with that, we know the Bible says the Word, you know, is a, the letter without the Spirit is dead. But when you bring together the word of the Lord and the spirit of God, it becomes life. I said something last week that I had to go back and write in my notes. I thought it was profound anyway. When we read this word, the Logos, this paper is written on his graphic, but reading what God had already said is the word Logos. So when I quote this, this Logos, for instance, peace I leave with you, that's something that's already said Logos. But then the Holy Spirit takes that, that one phrase, peace I leave with you, and now turns it into revelation and it now becomes a rhema word. It becomes now a word of armament. It becomes an armed and deadly weapon. So I recognize that the Holy Spirit inside of me says, I am the peacemaker. Blessed are the peacemakers. They will see God. I am the peacemaker inside of you. I want to make you a peacemaker to where that nothing shall uproot or upset you because you're operating in peace. It doesn't mean that there's not things you need to do and outward solutions for it, but we make those, those decisions and solutions comes up out of peace, not from fighting against flesh and blood and principalities that have no dominion with us. He uses the word ecclesia that is connected to the church or the body of Christ. The original is saying, I am... I'm raising up an ecclesia, a called out people. The word kaleo is the word, means called. I call you out, not out in terms of out of church. I call you out of this world and I bring you up out of Jesus. That you are part of the body of Christ, that out of who he is, you be functioning on earth as he is the head in the, in the heavens. Does that make sense? So there's two, two areas, that two roles that we play that the Holy Spirit operated in. Number one is the body of Christ. For every body has it represents. So you see someone, you recognize their body. If I was disembodied this morning, how many of you would recognize my spirit? 
Well, there he goes. Yeah, that looks like his spirit, kind of ghostly looking. Looks sickly a little bit, kind of ghost pale. But we don't. We recognize one another by a physical body. So when the Bible says that we are the body of Christ, it means a something that is recognized to represent him on earth as it is in heaven. But this body is a house, so the Holy Spirit dwells and exists inside of us. So when we're representing him and showing forth who he is, he wants to do it with the power of the Holy Spirit, not through our power or our ingenuity, and partner with the Holy Spirit so we can hear him say, here's how you react and here's how you respond. Let my peace join you and bind with you so that you're operating in the power of the peace of God. Another interesting wrinkle with this. Matthew, the 16th chapter, Jesus is talking to Peter. We've quoted, many of us quote this, and, and he said, I give you the keys of the kingdom of God. That I give you the power, and the gates of hell will not prevail against you. But he said, whatsoever you bind on earth, I also bind in heaven. We always think about binding the devil, and it literally means to restrict access to your domain. So you have, I have, we have authority to bind the devil from access to our domain. So the original would be as, let my peace, arene, join, you're bound to me, I join you, and in doing so, you bind the devil because you're joined with me. You're bound with me, so you have authority to bind the devil. That is the ecclesia that we've joined with him, Christ in us, the ecclesia joined inside of us to the power that we can bind the devil. You have no right to my domain and what the Lord's given me authority over, only to the level that I'm bound and joined with Jesus. I have talked with people, I've seen them, I've sat in counseling with them and, and felt the disappointments that I've bound the devil, I've bound the devil, and nothing happens. Well, who are you joined with? Because all power and authority is given under, in heaven and earth through Jesus. If I'm not joined with the head and so bound tightly with his heart, then I can say, you're bound devil, you're bound devil, you're bound devil, and he says, well, so are you. Is it possible to be bound in heaven as a believer? If we're bound in heaven as a believer, then we're bound in earth as a believer. What would be some of the things that would bind us in heaven? I mean, I, we always say, well, the Bible says I have the power to bind, but what if I'm bound in heaven? The Bible says that unforgiveness, if we, if we do not forgive, then we're not forgiven there. So unforgiveness means I am bound in heaven because I've not forgiven here. If I'm cursing here, then I have, as I've done it to the least of these, I've done it unto him. And a lot of believers don't recognize that they're bound in heaven and they don't see the result is because they haven't joined with Jesus as the arena, the peace of God that is the governing umpire inside of them that brings conviction and saying you cannot do that, you can't be acting that way and expect any better results. You can't treat people that way and expect, God, I want God's favor, all the while I'm treating everybody else another way. Whoa. Is that okay with you? 
if we're going to see the power of the Holy Spirit released through us, I can't grieve him. What grieves the Holy Spirit? Ephesians 4, which I don't have time to go into, has a lot of those places. The word grieve there, one of the words that's a concept word, means a jilted lover. I was grieved that I was, had covenant and then found out I was cheated on. That's grieving the Holy Spirit. So I'm saying, Holy Spirit, you have the right to speak into my life. You have a right to do anything of that. Lead and guide me, Holy Spirit. And the first time he convicts me, then I step over the line and say, well, I'll repent later. It doesn't matter. I'm just going to go do it right now. It means I've just grieved who is the expresser and the explainer of the lover of my soul. And then I feel powerless, though I can do all the outward, all the outward things right, but have no power inside the altar is not right. Now, here's the good thing is, when we're joined with Jesus because of what he did on the cross and what he did against the enemy and destroyed, First John says, for this very purpose, the Son of Man was manifested, revealed, unveiled himself to do what? To destroy the works of the devil. Perhaps we could say that Jesus' mission statement was to destroy the works of the devil who had blinded the first Adam and had taken captive the first Adam in that generation. So Jesus, the second Adam, 1 Corinthians 15, comes and restores us back into fellowship, back into the Father's covenant blessing. And he says, now, join yourself with me and stay in the peace of God and let the peace of God be the umpire and rulership of your heart. Let me give you an example of that. Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane. He knows that his time is close at hand. Soldiers came to take him, and they come to him and saying, Jesus said, who are you looking for? And he said, Jesus of Nazareth. Well, right before that, in John, he records, he said, the prince of this world comes, and he will find nothing in me. The original says, the one who has a domain authority in this area, he's looking for something inside of me that resonates with him, that has the same sound. So when he comes in and Jesus said, I'm he, interesting, I am that I am. I am he, what do they do? They fall to the ground. They literally have no power over him because the prince of peace is joined with the father. No dominion. Three times they try it, and Jesus knew in order to get this thing moving on, you know, we got to fulfill everything that God sent me to do. I've already said, not my will, but your will be done. So Jesus laid down his own willing will as a man, knowing that was going to hurt and be going to the cross. He took upon the will of the Father. Your will be done, Father. And they said, here, take me. He gave himself up for us. Jesus is the personification of one not being defensive. Think about that. Jesus never defended himself because he trusted the Father to do what he said he would do eternally. Defensiveness is a sign that I'm not trusting. I'm having to use my own shield, my own armor, my own strength. And I, all of us are defensive. I mean, I can get defensive in a heartbeat. And the Lord said, okay, you trust in you and not me. Trust me to fulfill. Trust me to do it. 
I'd like to hurry it up though, Lord. My way's faster. He said, yeah. And then all of a sudden you have to go back where you started and start over again. How's that working for you? When he said, whatever you bind on earth is already bound in heaven. And Jesus is at the right side of the Father, the Prince of Peace there. It's already bound in heaven by the Prince of Peace. So therefore, he that dwells and lives inside of you is bound because of the Prince of Peace joining with you. I join you in peace. Peace is not an emotion. It's not a feeling. It's not, the world may be, the absent of war may be peace in, in somebody's Wikipedia but the Bible, when it says arena, means to join and bind to me, which is a covenant term. Fear not. How many times has that said them? Fear not. Fear not. Fear not. That's easy for you to say. Fear not. Well, what he's saying is, I am in the middle of this with you. Do not fear. Do not allow your mind to go where your spirit is not going. Your spirit is going to be safe. Your mind wants to go in an opposite direction with that. I want to look at one of the roles in terms of the body of Christ. Because he says to us that you are, you are bound, you're bound in peace such as the body of Christ. To the level that the body of Christ, he's, he's here with us in peace. He's among us in peace whose mind is stayed upon him. He keeps them in perfect peace, Isaiah 26. He keeps them in perfect peace, which means completed, finished, whose minds are stayed on him. As we move into the latter part of the age, whenever that is and whatever that looks like, the, the, the role of the Holy Spirit, if we allow him to do it, is to keep our mind stayed you've ever built fence, which I've done lots of it in my younger days, when you built barbed wire fence with metal T-posts, there was something that you would weave among all of the strands of wire and it was called a stay. The stay was to keep everything in place so the wires didn't get tangled. I will keep him in perfect peace whose mind, not entangled with all the affairs and all the things of the world, stayed upon him. The battle for the mind is who will we give ourselves to and believe. There's more that you can get entangled with now than ever before. The internet, the inner confusion, whatever it might be, the who said it latest and the loudest and said it the most scientifically, that's got to be it. If it doesn't bring a sense of peace to your heart, even if it's a fact based on the world standard of fact, if it doesn't bring a sense of peace internally in you and Jesus bound your heart, then why even go there? But it's a fact. Well, the peace says it may be a fact, but Jesus is still get, taking me through this. When I walk through the fire, I won't be burned. It's a fact that fire will burn you. Fire hurts. The truth is, opposite of the fact, when you go through the fire, it won't burn you. The peace of God rules us based upon truth, not based upon fact. And the battle for the mind is warring over this. So I really, the battle and find, I'm, I'm not going to, don't need to read that, don't need to look at that, don't need to see this, don't, I just need to keep, doesn't mean I don't read other books, I need to keep my mind stayed upon him. I have a friend in another country emailed me 
have you heard the latest? And it was about America. He, he emailed me all stuff about America. He's more American than most of us. He's in Asia. Have you heard the latest? And I know it was coming. So I just emailed him back. I said, yeah, I have. He goes, oh, really? I just took the spiz out of it. Just, just took his thunder. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, what do you hear? I hear Jesus is doing well. He's at the right side of the Father, and I'm trusting him, loving him, and walking with him, and it's all going to work out. Well, is it going to be pre, post, mid? How's it going to come out? I don't know. I just believe that Jesus is about bread, and the word bread is translated pan, at least in Latin. And so I just believe it's all going to pan out. I mean, it literally, I got a sense of peace about it. I don't know how it helped him. Maybe I took the fire off of his altar. But anyway, I felt, this, you know, I'm trusting the Lord. It's on a need-to-know basis. If I don't need to know it, then I don't want to know it. You say, well, that is just total denial. I'm happy to deny everything else and just let Jesus be the center of my life. Well, that's just stupid. Well, tell John that. When all the other disciples were wanting to find out who was the most favored who Jesus liked the most. And they were spending all their time rankering about who was the most favored and all that. And they said, go ask John. Jesus will talk to him. And, G and John, the, the picture of John's got his head over on Jesus' chest and he's just loving on Jesus, hearing the hearing heartbeat of Jesus. And they're over there, John, John. You know, can you what? And John's, oh yeah, they want to know who's the favored. <laughs> Jesus, what is that to you? I said, oh, John, that, he just said John's going to live forever. Jesus said, I didn't say that. In my language, he said, none of your business what's going on between me and John. Every first grade teacher says, keep your hands on your own desk and your eyes on your own paper. Don't worry about anybody else in the classroom. I have it from first grade authority right there. Spend all your time trying to keep everybody centered on where they are. You have been made and created for revelation and worship. You're a high-powered engine, not sitting in a garage just to be polished up every once in a while, but you have been built by the speed and revelation of the Holy Spirit, empowered to outrun the devil's sound, to outrun what the devil throws out at you, and just to put your all the way pedal to the metal and outrun that thing. Don't slow down to listen to pesky dogs the little foxes spoil the vital. Well, what about this? He's a little fox. Who cares? The greatest revelation I had was one day I got the revelation. Oh, I don't have to care about that. I don't even have to have an opinion about that. I don't even have to have any revelation about that. A friend of mine, he said that he was a postman. He had a high grade of delivering the mail back when postmen walked their beats more. They asked him, when him to teach a seminar to all the other postmen, said, how do you deliver the mail so efficiently and, and you're in before everybody else with the same size route? He said, it's easy. He said, well, please tell us. He said, I don't stop and kick at pesky dogs because they bark. You'll catch that revelation moment. The more times that we're distracted by the cures of life, the less time we can be centered and being filled 
with the Spirit of the Lord and filled with revelation of who he is and not worrying about everybody else around us. Does it mean that we should know truth? No, we should. We need to know, have evidence about something? We should. We pray about these things, present them to the Lord, but that cannot be our daily bread and an obsession about this stuff. We need to be obsessed with Jesus. And then whatever he tells us out of that, we'll do as a leadership of the Holy Spirit. But he must be first and foremost. Having a conversation with someone yesterday, one of my kids, this is my youngest right here. And we were having a conversation about what the Lord wants. And I said, you know the very thing, because knowing like I do, I said, you know what the Lord wants from you? He wants your new song. Sing unto the Lord a new song. Nobody else can sing it. He wants to call you into a place with him. And so when you allow the Holy Spirit to flow through you and you're ministering to the Lord, somehow or another, all of this other stuff happens. I'm not saying it's easy. Some of you guys have been really dealing with some heavy stuff. You know, Patty and Dennis just come through a really trying time. It's good to see Dennis back there. <laughs> been in the hospital about four months, and they probably know how many days and hours that is too. And God walked it through them. Doesn't mean it was easy in the process, but the end result is God takes watch, walks us through it. There's something about training our hands to war and our fingers to fight, but it's not here, it's there. I'm training my hands to war by lifting them before the Lord and saying, here's my sacrifice of praise, my offering to you. Because as they begin to thank and praise the Lord, then God, 2 Chronicles 14, then as the Lord, 7, then the Lord set ambushments up against their enemies. All he asked me to do is lift my hands and war with this. Aaron, battle's going well as long as his, his hands were lifting up, which is the rabbinical position for offering giving. And they got tired, Aaron and Hur had to hold them up. There's something about warring in the presence of the Lord that gets the result than warring in our own flesh and our own ingenuity. What about this? What about this? I don't know. He knows better than we do, and he'll figure it out. Okay. Romans, excuse me, um, 1 Corinthians 12, Paul makes this statement. Two positions that we're called to be. Number one, called to be the body of Christ. Second position is to be the bride of Christ. Right now here on earth, we are the body of Christ. In heaven, we will be the bride of Christ. But right now, we're being prepared for what we shall be. First John says, we don't know what we shall be, but we know when he appears, we shall be like him. And that's present and future. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 12, verses 18, but now God has set the members, each one of them, in the body just as he pleased. And if they were all one member, where would the body be? In other words, he's made us uniquely qualified, distinctively, and he's not called anybody to be cookie cutters of everybody else. You'll see in just a moment. But, but now indeed, there are many members, yet one body, one purpose, one body. It is his body, not this church. It's not my body. It's his Colossians 1.18 says, he is the head of the church, not me. Thank God. It belongs to him. I didn't die for anybody yet. 
No, much rather, the, those members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. And those members of the body which we think to be less honorable on these, he bestows greater honor and our unpresentable parts greater modesty. You see how he points that out? I will take the weakest and I'll, I'll put something on them, place something on them, and now they're, they're the greater. So what we think is a huge strength, he comes and he says, but I want to take the weakest part of the body and bring it up and make it stronger. Because the whole point is the functioning as one body representing him on earth. When we worship this morning as a, bond, as a, a cluster, if you will, as a bonded body to him, there's something powerfully that began to happen in the atmosphere. I think Diane was saying that we can change the atmosphere. Well, let me tell you, you change the atmosphere in your home by your words. Your home is a sanctuary or your home is a hellhole. And that sanctuary is by we declare that he's goodness and who he is and we allow the peace of God to be bound to our heart or otherwise we, we just give in to it and just let the words prevail and we start doing all this other and we've now said, Holy Spirit, you don't dwell here. You don't need to be here. I am in charge now because the power of life is in the death and the tongue. So I take up the power. Thank God we can repent and say, I didn't do such a good job. Will you take over? Okay. That went over well, I can tell. But God will take our presentable parts who have no need, but God composed the body having given greater honor to that part which is lacking. We say, man, that's a great, that's a great member. Yet the Lord said, what about this other person? You don't even know what's going on. I'm putting greater honor there. It's not what we think. But, there, but that there should be no schism. Let me just say the word schism means to rupture or create a chasm between one flesh. His body is one flesh with him, right? We're one with him, one new man. All the way through Scripture, we become one with him. Well, the one schism means I've come and ruptured and divided what was to be one with him. And what was bonded to be with him and joined with him has now been severed or cut. And then hell begins to move in. In certain situations, we have to, now we have to rebond ourselves and reconnect ourselves to Jesus. Nobody else can fulfill that for us. But that the members should have the same care one for another. And if one member suffers, they all should suffer. They all do suffer. If one member is honored, they all members rejoice with it. Now you are the body of Christ, the anointed one, and members individually. So he's saying our role right here on the earth that the Holy Spirit lives in and wants to thrive and move through is the body of Christ. So what does that look like? The body of Christ, we come to church. That's only the beginning of it. The Holy Spirit living and dwelling inside of us, he said, I've given you gifts in individually so that these gifts will function through the body, that your body is not sedentary, but your body is actively engaged from the inside out, the power of the Holy Spirit working from the inside out. The believers shall lay hands on the sick. It's because there's something faith inside that says, I can lay hands on the sick. So the body is simply responding to the greater anointing that's on the inside. 
We're not just a bag of bones. We carry the glory and the presence and the anointing of the Holy One of God who says, I've made you a body to represent me on the earth. Now, here's the second role, and that is the bride of Christ. Part of the word ecclesia comes out of that term of the bride of Christ, ecclesis, which means, paraclesis means to draw near, ecclesia means to come near and then be sent out. You come near and then to be sent out. That was the, the two words there. So he said, I've drawn you close to me to put something inside of you so that when I send you out, you carry the same peace, the same power, the same anointing. When you go into the city, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, heal the sick and all that. He's saying, I, as I've sent you, so I have been sent, so I sent you. You carry the gifts of the Holy Spirit to empower you to do the works of the Lord. Here's what's interesting with this. Revelation 19, verses 6 and 10. I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, as a voice of many waters, and as the voice of mighty thundering, saying, Alleluia. For the Lord God omnipotent reigns. Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him for the marriage of the Lamb is come. Not here, there. All about the wedding. I've given you a body to prepare a bride for what is to come. And the devil likes nothing more except to distract us from this intimacy with Jesus. Actually, the word ecclesia comes out of an intimacy with him. I'm called you out of being in with him, one with him. And so you go out with him. And to her, and to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white, for the fine linen is the righteousness of the saints, which also, by the way, was the ephod that the, the priests wore in worship. She's given fine linen, that the, the linen is the righteous acts, deeds of the saints. Righteous acts is one of the translations. So he's saying the acts that we do here in the body of Christ is, is a covering for what the bride of Christ we're covering. The righteous acts here will be as it were, go before us there. Jesus said, I want the, the last supper, I will not drink of this cup with you again until I drink it in my Father's kingdom anew. And he was talking about the marriage supper of the Lamb. Now, I said earlier, hang on to the word friend because it's, it's big. I'll just paraphrase this really quick. John the Baptist's disciples got in heavy competition with Jesus' disciples. John's disciples came back to Jesus and said, hey, you know the one that was, you saw over another place, Anon? He said, he's, he's turning out baptizing more people than we are. Doesn't that sound silly to us? But I mean, it was pretty, it's pretty, I guess, a serious thing for them. And John said, I remember I told you that he's the one. He's the one that the, whom the Father would send the Spirit without measure. He's not against us. And then John describes himself. He said, I'm the one who's called to prepare the way. I am the friend of the bridegroom. 
The word friend of the bridegroom is a, was a culture term, and it's, it's, it's a word that literally means one who is in charge of all the wedding plans, of making sure the bride gets where she needs to be and she's wearing what she's supposed to be wearing. So if the role of the Holy Spirit in a New Testament way is the friend of the bride, and we could make some, some understandings that there's other people, ministries and giftings that God gives us to be a friend of the bride, then his role is to prepare a people for us coming, his coming, our catching up with him as the bridal company. I don't know about you, but that excites me to deal with the nasty now and now, knowing the fact is there's a wedding coming. I will one day not be the body of Christ. Does that disturb you a little bit? The body of Christ is what we do here on the earth, representing him on heaven. But when I come up to that point to where I'm now in the company with him, I don't need to be the body of Christ because I'm now with the head. I don't need a body. I'm now the bride. And I know some people say, well, we're the bride here, and that, that's fine. I'm not going to spit that over. But the, we're, when we, in heaven, we are functioning as a bridal company with him. And Jesus tells it for this purpose. John's disciples were saying, we're proving that our, our guys are better than your guys. And he said, John, how come, went to Jesus, they came to Jesus and said, how come John's disciples fast a lot and your disciples are not fasting? So therefore, you guys need to buck up. And Jesus did a being defensive, said, well, I can tell you why. The time is right now that they have the, the groom is with them, the bridegroom is with them. And when the bridegroom is with them, you don't need to fast. But the time will come when the bridegroom is taken up and then they will need to fast because there's not with them. So that tells us that one day we'll be caught up with him, we'll be in the bridal company, and we'll not be fasting. We won't need to break through the, the physical barriers that fasting does in our body, but we will be with him, be with the head, join with him, and become his wife, and none of us as men will be bothered about it. We won't deal with gender specifics. They won't know what to do. I mean, the Bible even says her... She, the bride, and the rest of them, it doesn't matter because he is the head. And if he's the head, I don't care what they call me because there's neither marriage nor given in marriage there. Because he now is the one I'm married to. And when I'm married to him, that I, the, the new Jerusalem, the city of God is his domain and I'm not worrying about all the other stuff. It helps me process the stuff I go through with now, knowing that I'm not going to do I'm not going to do this for eternity. So why does Paul talk about in Ephesians five so much about marriage, and the guy was not even married? He spoke more about marriage than any single writer in the New Testament, and yet he was never married. He was, he was the guy that we believe was caught up into the third heaven, so evidently he got it by direct revelation, not by some kind of therapist, not by Mr. Spock or whatever that guy's name used to be. Some of you only remember that. 
So what does he say? He said, this is the mystery. I'm telling you it's a mystery. If you're married, you're right in the middle of a mystery. You can't figure them out. Man, you don't know what she's thinking. She doesn't know what you're thinking. And it's a mystery. You wake up every day and say, I've been married to you for, we've been married 33 years. Right? (laughs) And it's a mystery. How did we get here? Grace of God. You know, I mean, we work through stuff. Grace of God, grace of God. It is a mystery. So Paul said, it's so a mystery, but I tell you how it works. That a man would love his wife in such a way that he literally lays down his wife. Doesn't mean he becomes the doorman. It means I lay down what is for all about me, me, myself, and how me. And I lay it down for the betterment of the rest of my covenant. And he said, this here's the mystery, but I'm speaking as Christ did for the church. He said, so the model is Christ for the church. And you ladies say, well, yeah, and Jesus was crucified for it too. (laughs) That's the mystery. That when we die to self, then he releases an understanding of the bridal company and the mystery of who he is and all he's supposed to be. So just realize that he said, I want to bring you revelation about what it means to be married to Jesus. I want to bring you revelation, what it means to be allow the Holy Spirit, which is the bride's friend, to come alongside with you and show you what it means to be married. It takes the power of the Holy Spirit, the friend of the bridegroom, to show you this great mystery. The two roles that we're called to be I am, you know, me being a pastor speaking is an identity that's way, way down the list from what I'm, I am called to be a lover of Jesus. I am called to be a sanctuary, a temple for the living God. I'm called to show others to Christ. I'm called to serve, lay down my life in such a way that will reveal his goodness and reveal who he is. Thank you. So when you read through the scripture, if you read it as if it was a wedding manual, then you have eyes to see it. If you read it what it means for Jesus to love his wife so much that he would do this, then we have an understanding. If you interpret last day events through the idea of a wedding, then you'll, you'll get a lot of it. Our biggest role is yet to be, and that'll be in heaven. But right now, we're functioning as the body of the anointed, expressing him. He's saying, I want you to say what I say, and don't make excuses for saying something else. He said, I want you to be totally committed and submitted to being the body of the anointed. And when you do that, there's, there's great favor upon you. Stand with him, if you would, please. I don't have time to get into one example. But if you would go into the book of Esther, there's a, pr- a great role of what the Holy Spirit looks like. Vashti, the queen, rejected the king 
And so now this young, young Jewish girl, teenager, is being instructed by her cousin, actually, Mordecai. Mordecai is preparing her as a friend of the bridegroom, of saying, here's the perfume, here's the preparation, here's what you need to do because you're coming before the king. If we would allow the Holy Spirit to prepare us, he knows the protocols of heaven. He knows what the king is looking for. We don't. And if we just act out how we feel, then we could be rejecting being coming in before the presence of God here on earth as it would should be. So Lord, I just ask you today, may the power of the Holy Spirit rise up inside of us in a capacity that we've never seen before. Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but you, Holy Spirit, are in charge of all hope. So we ask you to have a greater dominion, a greater capacity. Extend yourself in us and through us. Where we've grieved you, we come into a place of repentance. Not sorry that it because it didn't work out, but sorry because I broke your heart, Lord. Not just the fact of what it does to other people, but I broke your heart. You had expectations for me based upon the wedding plans, and I chose another plan. But the redemption of who you are brings us into a place. Redeem us, restore us. So we come and we submit our hearts to you, Holy Spirit. We come and lay down our agenda, preconceived notions. I don't know how the end is going to turn out on everything. You know the end from the beginning, so we simply trust you. Enjoy the ride. Enjoy the relationship. Because out of you, he wants to bring his expression of his body and who he is in a greater way. Just joining a church doesn't make you the body of Christ. Joining Jesus makes you a member of the body of Christ. And joining him means you've got to be joined to what I'm joined to, hate what I hate, love what I hate, with love, and let me guide and direct you. I bless this house, Lord, that you would take us into a fresh understanding of the role of the Holy Spirit in the last days. That you're not just one inside of me that I know you're there. I'm asking you to rise up and let your thoughts become my thoughts. It won't return void, but it'll accomplish what you sent it to do. That you would renew my mind, O Lord, to have the mind of my beloved. I would have the mind of my lover, have the mind of the one I'm going to be married to. Forgive us, Lord, that we've had pictures of another Jesus. We've created pictures of another Christ, another, another bridal company, another groom. One that fits my expectation, one that fits my pictures. There's nothing on earth that you can compare with being married to Jesus. It's just like our Father in heaven cannot be compared with the Father here on earth. It just doesn't fit. I want the ministry team to come to stand. I just really, as I'm the last of this series, 
just allow there to be a fresh understanding that there's someone living inside of you. You're not alone. He wants to join with you inside of you. He wants to partner with you inside of you to accomplish everything that he said about you that's written in the books of heaven about you. Let there be a fresh sense, a fresh baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now here's where you know whether you're really being led by the Spirit. The Holy Spirit doesn't drive you, he leads you. If you're driven by obsession or push some way, no, that's not the Holy Spirit. He leads you because it has directions. The devil will push you over the cliff. The Holy Spirit will guide and direct you. Here's how I know that he lives inside of me. Hebrews says, the Father, because he loves you, he will discipline you. If I will not let him discipline me, will not hear him, his conviction on me, then I am an illegitimate son. Bastard is the word. I can know everything about him, but if I'm rejecting him and rejecting his touch and his, his discipline, then I'm illegitimate. I'm an orphan son, though I know him in my mind, I don't know him in relationship. So the ecclesia governs by first of all having intimacy with him. So Father, we just ask you today, we don't want to get by away with anything. We don't want to grieve you at any point. Because when you do, the devil takes over and we think we're being led by another spirit. So we just ask you to come, weed out the stuff, take out the garbage, take out the trash, so that we become a, a leavened lump that looks like you.